Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. I mean, it's been two months now. Uh, I think the, the time is on our side. The longer we go and get things out, push things out, the safer things are going to be. But I also think that we've put in a lot of work this year. We've, we've, we've only got, you know, what, we played 62 games or something like that. We've almost got it got it done. So crowning a champion, if, if it's possible and if it's safe, I think we should still strive for that for sure. There's Raptors coach Nick Nurse on resuming the season. PK, Check him off the list. PK, do you feel, yeah, as we continue to play, as we continue to play comeback bingo, I'm just wondering if you feel more like Lou Gehrig right now or more like Cal Ripken. Because we got a streak here, and we're going to keep it together, and there it is. There's another day, and someone else talking about the return of sports. I would go with Lou because today, 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 yeah. I feel like I am the luckiest, luckiest, luckiest. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting you bring up Lou Gehrig or Cal Ripken. You go baseball because on this day, I think it was in 1941, Joe DiMaggio started his 56-game hitting streak, which is a super impressive statistic. Don't know that it will ever be broken. Today was hit number one. And also on this day in his early 70s, Nolan Ryan had the first of his seven no-hitters. Which one is more likely to be broken? Will somebody have eight no-hitters or 57 consecutive games with a hit? Because it's really easy to say, I don't think I'm going to see either one of those broken in my lifetime. But which one are you more likely to see? man, that's a good question. Thank you. Every once in a while. Ooh. I would have to say, oh man! I think the eight no no back and forth six times. I know, but I I think ten seconds. I think the eight no nos because the game has changed. We talk about how the NBA has changed, which I feel like I have to mention because I'm listening to the NBA music. (laughs) The NBA's changed with all the three point shots, and it has. But baseball's changed because now it's not about getting a hit and moving runners around. It's about knocking it out of the park. And if you strike out 150 times in a season, eh, whatever, you know, as long as as you hit the 40 homers. So Uh, I just don't know that anyone, there aren't that many players who are going to hit 300, well, probably not even 300. You probably got to be hitting 350 or 375 or something to make the kind of contact to get that many hits in a row. Because even when you're batting second in the lineup, you're probably still hitting trying to hit 25 homers. Even if you aren't, you're trying to. And it's the trying to hit the homer that messes up the streak. Uh, could possibly be, but at the same time, man, we're seeing managers take out guys with no hitters in the sixth inning because they don't throw that many pitches. And that's why we don't think we'll see either one of these things happen. But what we will see right now is I'm watching live baseball on ESPN2, the Korean League. Yeah, is that... It looks like it's raining. There's somebody with an umbrella in the background. It just started raining, yes. I've been watching it for about 20 minutes, and it did just start rain, yes. 
All right, DJ and PK, one thing here. Uh, the NBA teams are going to withhold more than $30 million from player paychecks today as players receive their first salary reduction since the league and union agreed to a plan to temporarily cut pay by 25%. Six of the league's top earners have already been paid in full and will not see a pay decrease today. LeBron, Steph Curry, John Wall, Blake Griffin, Kevin Durant, Paul George. Their salary reductions will come out of their advances on October 1st or beginning with their November 15th paycheck. So there you go. Got an IOU per paycheck. Those are some awesome IOUs there. It's the guys who make hundreds of millions of dollars take care of the people who have tens of billions of dollars. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. How'd that Twitter feed look last night when the news broke and people had time to react and start piling on with their observations? Booth Gotch, reportedly transferring from the University of Utah. Larry Kristoviak issuing a statement late last night. Gotch is not in the transfer portal as of this morning. Could come at any time. And he may not transfer. He just may go to the NBA. So, but he's not coming back. He's he's definitely not going to be up on the hill. Kristoviak's statement, quote, We have been very supportive of Booth entering the NBA draft to obtain valuable evaluations from team personnel these past two months. So this comes as a surprise to myself and our staff after learning of Booth's intentions to transfer. Uh, and then it goes on. But close quote there. Groundhog Day, PK. We've seen this before. Yeah, my thought for you, and obviously we have, we've seen it several times, is it indicative of the times, which obviously it is, but is it more indicative of Larry's program because this happens, and it's happened with guys who are getting playing time. It's not guys, Majerus, at least with Majerus who averaged three guys a year leaving. I remember I, I did the numbers once, and it was basically three guys a year. And so a few of them were for discipline, but most of them was that he wanted the scholarship back, and so he ran them off, and yeah. they weren't playing as much, and he wanted to be able to use the scholarship to go get somebody else. And it's a dirty business, and I suppose that was his right, and he certainly did that because uh, we used to talk about, we used to joke about on senior day, uh, we should, they should also include cut day because by the end of the year, you knew which guys were going to get cut. And the players used to talk about that long walk that they'd have to make once they entered the Huntsman Center to go into his office, and they all knew what was coming. But here it seems like a different deal. So where does a, where would you put the percentage on the situation in which we live versus these guys just for whatever reason don't want to be in a program anymore? Well... I mean, 100%, this is the situation we live. I mean, it's, Yach will tell us the number. He will track it. And he's done it in the past years. This has gone over 600, over 700. Was it over 800 people last year? I believe you are correct. With yeah. 350 programs, we're getting close to, we're not there, but we're getting close to the three per year that Majerus averaged, which at the time seemed like a huge number and is now only slightly above average. But there is a lot of truth to what you just said that these are not end of the bench guys these are guys who are either starting or playing starters minutes or are young guys who they've invested in who are expected to play starter or starter minutes so the, I mean there's just no way around that that's who these guys are Booth Gotch has played starter minutes I just looked it up Jeff Goodman who tracks pretty closely as well says we're over 900 already over 900 this year yeah and so 1050 would be this three the, per team. And this is an academic year, so it starts 2019 through the end of this academic year, which is coming up here. So you still are close yeah. to 1,000 now. You know, it still comes back to what you always say, that if, if you win, everything's okay. 
If they won more, there'd probably be fewer transfers. But if they won more, if they were going to the NCAA tournament every year, I don't know that people would care. Maybe they would a little because maybe they'd be going out in the first and second round instead of going to the Sweet 16, Elite Eight, or Final Four. So maybe there'd still be a care factor. The biggest issue here is they're not going to the NCAA tournament. And then you look at why, and it's, it seems like they don't have the advantage that these other schools have um, where they're bringing guys back and they have juniors and seniors. So they're able to beat the more talented teams because they have one and dones that haven't really grown together. I mean, if you ever watched Arizona play this year, and you and I watched a lot because we know Pace Mannion really well and his son Nico was on the team. And they didn't look like a cohesive unit. Now, is it because they didn't play well together? Is it because, despite all the talent, they had holes on the roster that, you know, with another year they could have filled in? Is it because guys had one role their whole life and then had a different role on this team? I mean, Nico was clearly the star on a bunch of teams he was on, and he was clearly not the star on this team. Don't bring the ball up court, run a pick and roll, decide if you want to shoot a three, go to the hoop and dunk on somebody's head, or kick it out, come up, throw it to the wing, and yeah, maybe you'll get the ball back. Probably you won't, but maybe you will. It was a different role for him, and it clearly impacted his stats and the way his game looked. Clearly. And so you have a chance to beat those okay. wildly talented teams if you keep your guys and you grow together, and the Utes aren't doing that. So first, they have a winning problem. Second, they have a guys are transferring who ought to be staying in the program problem. And then the last thing I would talk about is, boy, everybody's losing three recruits this year. I'd rank them on, on percentage of the problem. It's 60%. They don't go to the NCAA tournament. It's 35%. They have got to do a better job of keeping guys in the program who are talented, who they've invested in. And then 5% of the discussion can be everybody loses transfers. Because everybody doesn't lose guys off the top of the roster. And, and I think even that, you have to say, they're losing guys off the top of the roster and they're losing more talent than they're taking back in the transfer portal. You know, I think it'd be a different discussion if they were pulling in some of the talented players that we see Gonzaga and San Diego State get. Because they don't have the same roster cohesion that, I don't know, maybe Utah State had this year. But they brought in more talent than they lost. I'd have to go back and see a year ago who did would, I, I can't remember everyone I'm not sure I remember everyone BYU lost but they took in more talent than they lost so they ended up with an NCAA caliber team even though it was an attorney they were clearly going to get it, get in and get a nice seat alright how much of that did I miss on that's what I think shoot me down tell me I'm wrong I don't even consider the seniors because to me the seniors are gone <laughs> guys the grad transfers if they have anybody who's been a grad transfer gone I mean anybody who's a senior who's graduated it's understood that they're going to leave uh, and uh, there was a quote I think it was one of the assistants at BYU may have been Chris Burgess I can't remember I read it in one of the papers I think uh, the D News Jeff Call had it uh, quote saying we want to get old and stay old well, the Utes are going in the opposite direction. They're Got young, young and they're getting stable. younger. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's just not a recipe for winning. It really doesn't matter who you are. I mean, unless you're Kentucky and Duke and you can, you know, have these elite, elite level guys. And even them, they're not for assured of it by any stretch. 
but just this getting young and staying, getting young and getting younger is going to lead. I think that to me, I wouldn't put number one going, not going to the NCAA tournament because that's the byproduct of these kids leaving. If the kids had stayed, they'd have a better chance to get to the NCAA tournament. So I would put the kids leaving, whatever reason you want to decide why they're leaving is up to you. Uh, but the fact that they're leaving leads to that is the 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 what the effect or the cause however that works and then the other side is the fact that then then once all these kids leave then it's assured that they don't go to the ncaa tournament because they had no chance to go to the ncaa tournament this past season because so many of their kids are all over the country playing basketball someplace else and last year they their senior was a senior walk-on it was the same thing with byu on the latter portions of dave rose's career is that they had few if any seniors well the result was they're not going to the ncaa tournament so this year byu had seven seniors five or six who played critical roles well they were going to go to the ncaa tournament so you need the seniors and you know unless you're the superstar program you need the seniors to be on your roster playing big minutes because that's what's going to get you the ncaa tournament i don't care how great these youngsters are and we're going to hear this from utah this next year oh they got these great recruits well this past season you told me well we're too young but now this next season you're even younger but somehow you're going to get there that's not consistent if you were too young this year how could you be old enough even though you got a slew of young guys next year it seems like we're going down the same road it's just absolutely groundhog day we're one of those mice in one of those wheels and we're just spinning our wheels around and around and around and we already know the result months before the season even gets here let alone before the season ends and they're getting further away every year the record's getting worse and worse they had a 27 win team when they went to the ncaa tournament the last time then they missed with a 20 win team then they was missed with a 19 win team then they missed with a 17-win team. Now they've missed with a 16-win team. It's, it's not trending in the right direction. The last two teams haven't even gone to the NIT, which is just mind-boggling. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to have more on this uh, coming up. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Hashtag NFL. Listen, listen. Everything I love on my daddy's grave, I hit that man with about max 50% of what I had. And I just hit him because I wanted him to let loose of the ball. If I had knew they was going to find me 75000 I would have tried to kill him. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you. Right. 75? I ain't going to lie to you. But that happened, right? The gist thing Mike Tonner ever did, he handed me an envelope after that. I ain't going right. to say what, but right, right. he handed me an envelope after that. That's former Steelers star James Harrison talking about a $75,000 fine he got back in 2010 for hitting a Browns wide receiver. Concussion because of the head-to-head hit. It was not flagged in the game. So I guess we have time for all the stories from the old days now, PK, because we have no games. I can't imagine we would have been talking about this in the middle of the NBA playoffs. Ooh, man, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but This is the whole thing with the Saints that led the suspensions. And it was uh, Sean Payton was out for a year. Okay, this is not the same thing with Tomlin. If it's true, I I don't know. I have to take the man at his word. But Harrison has had some issues, so I don't know that it is true. But if it is true, 
it's sort of this, it, to me it's the same thing and, and and anytime something like this comes down in the NFL this is a big big deal I don't think we just brush it aside because we're in a quarantine or a pandemic this is playing paying players to injure other players that's the whole essence of the Saints thing University of Florida is open to hosting events involving pro sports teams. They're looking for a way to play during the COVID-19. The athletic director said all the pro sports teams are welcome to practice or play in the state, and Strickland reached out to discuss the facilities available in Gainesville. Available for a price, baby. Everybody's going to have budget shortfalls. Donors aren't going to be given as much. You're not going to be selling tickets by the tens of thousands for people to go to games, apparently. So if you can rent out that baseball stadium right now, some major league team that can't train in New York or Boston or Philly or wherever. Done deal. Gainesville, huh? Come on down. Gainesville, Florida. Of course, you'd be competing with all the uh, spring training facilities, too. So, Gainesville, Florida. That is the home of Tom Petty. You been to Gainesville? I have not been to Gainesville. I have been to uh, uh, many other places in Florida, but I have not been. I've been to Jacksonville, been to Miami, been to Key West, but uh, I've not been up that far to Gainesville. Arrest warrants have been issued in South Florida for New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quentin Dunbar in connection to an armed robbery investigation. According to Miramar Police, Baker's arrest warrant is for four counts of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm. Dunbar is wanted on four counts of armed robbery with a firearm. According to the arrest warrant, Baker and Dunbar are accused of stealing money and watches with force while armed with semi-automatic firearms. Read some quotes on this last night from witnesses who said it looked like it was all planned. The getaway car was available, pointed in the right direction to get out of there fast. They thought the whole thing was uh, organized as opposed to, you know, some kind of fight that escalated and then somebody took something off somebody. It's a weird deal. We don't usually hear about this. The, the comments from the teams, I don't know if I've seen anything from the Seahawks, but I know the Giants said they're, they're aware of it and collecting information. I assume the Seahawks are along the same lines. That was... Uh, that was a story I did not expect. Popped up and saw that. Well, no, no, I didn't expect it either. Yeah, it's crazy. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. I definitely think we'll play. All this talk of these schools wanting to bring players back on June 1st is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. And so um, we got to be patient. We'll get one good shot at it to bring them back at the right time when we're as prepared and know as much about this as we possibly can. And uh, But I do believe if we do it right and we don't get ahead of ourselves that we will be able to play a season, whether that's this fall, whether that's in the spring, whether it's a combination, whether it's just a full schedule, shortened schedule, you know, I don't know. That is Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma coach. We've got to be patient. We have one good shot at it. I kind of thought the plan for bringing them back June 1 and starting to work them out was that maybe they have more confidence if the campuses are only partially open, that they kind of keep people in a bubble, and then that would give them more time to play games. I wondered with the talk of the Pac-12 playing 11 games, if part of the plan was, hey, if it's this, we can control this schedule here, and if it takes us 22 weeks to play 11 games, as you know, there are different hot spots, and if somebody tests positive at one school and has to be quarantined, maybe we can do that. 
I was kind of guessing that was what they were thinking. I haven't read that. But it doesn't sound like that's what Lincoln Riley is thinking. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I don't know why bringing players back June 1st, why it's one of the craziest things he's ever heard of. I mean, health clubs, gyms are opening up, reopening up. I mean, they're not reopening in the manner that they were to a large degree. But if if fill-in-the-blank gym across the street from the campus can be open and you can bring in some people and they have to make reservations and they can stay for an hour as opposed to going whenever you want and staying as long as you want, all those types of things. I mean, why couldn't you do that in the other way with uh, the schools? You know, you bring in six players, say, off the top of my head. And so you have some, especially for the players who are in town, the local players, you know, guys who are out of state and they went home. It's a different story. I understand that. But as far as maybe this, what they call the soft opening, the small opening, yeah. uh, if you can do it across the street, why couldn't you do it at the university? You know, it won't be the same. I understand that. But I don't think it's that outrageous. SEC presidents and chancellors don't either. They're scheduled to vote May 22nd. That's a week from today on whether to allow their schools to open athletic facilities to athletes for voluntary workouts in June. The vote would allow players to access facilities starting June 1 or extend the currently imposed suspension on athletic activities. i got to say the other thing that in all of this is I, I wonder if they do get one good shot at it. If they open this up June 1 or June 15 or July 1 or whatever, and there's some positive tests, and they decide to shut it down. Do you really think the PR backlash will be so bad against them that they couldn't open it up again October 1 or November 1? Because they hadn't really considered there'd only be like one shot, and then they'd shut down the whole year. I, I, I'd say I was at least 80-20 or 90-10 the other way. I hadn't really locked in on the whole one good shot thing. I guess you can't rule it out, but I hadn't really thought it was a high probability. Yeah, I get your point. I think we're mirroring society, too, here. I mean, if we're just going to sit around and wait until there's a 100% chance of nothing ever happening again for the rest of time and all eternity, as you guys like to say, well, then, my goodness, we're never going to get anywhere. That's 12 to 18 months on the short end of a vaccine, right? And, and people are saying even the vaccine is found how long before you make hundreds of millions, billions of vaccines and get them distributed so, and paid for so that everybody can get the shot, or at least a large number of people can get the shot. So, yeah, I'm with you. I thought there would be multiple bites at the apple here over the next 12, 18, whatever it is, months. Power 5 Conference Commissioners recently had a conference call with NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and are hoping to glean some insight from the league as it takes the lead in navigating football through the coronavirus pandemic. This is what uh, Kyle Whittingham was talking about, I think, when he said, hey, if the NFL can do it, then we can. But if they can't, how can we possibly do it? So get on the same page. I mean, you get 53-man rosters, 85 scholarship guys. You know, the numbers are a little different, but the issues seem like they're largely the same. Yes. Cal coach Justin Wilcox said his staff has looked at potentially conducting preseason training outside the Bay Area if the college football season starts on time and restrictions are in place that won't allow the Golden Bears to hold camp on campus. Chico State, hello. Where's he headed? Vacaville. Reno, come on. I don't know if there's any more facilities in Reno. I'd assume the University of Nevada. Share it with with UNR. (laughs) DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 
We have um, an arrangement with a lab in Utah that has historically done our minor league drug testing. We paid, made an investment to convert them over to do the testing that we need in order to play. Um, we have an established set of healthcare professionals that have done collections for drug testing that we'll use for this same purpose. The lab in Utah um, has assured us of a 24-hour turnaround on all uh, on all of our tests. So we feel comfortable that by doing multiple tests a week and trying to minimize that, that turnaround time, we're doing everything humanly possible to make sure that the players are safe. If you're going to use a drug testing lab in Utah, then to Las Vegas and Portland. They can get back in line. Yak, I saw you tweeting this out last night. Bring us an MLB franchise. Leverage this for an expansion team. PK, this is Jersey hardball. We might need you to lead the negotiations here. Uh, forget expansion. I want the Yankees. <laughs> Sorry, Steinbrenners. You're going to Salt Lake City. Pinstripes, baby. <laughs> I think in all of that, uh, the thing that Rob Manfred said that everybody ought to track is that a positive test won't mean shutting down an entire team. I have not been clear on this, whether it's college football or basketball or the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball. Are you going to shut down a team if there's a test, assuming that they've all there's a positive test? Because you can test them all right away, but it may not show up for three or four days. So is the other team going to be okay with playing a team where this just happened. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure how that was going to play, play out. But Manfred says here uh, it will not mean shutting down an entire team. They'll quarantine the, whoever tests positive and then just keep playing. And it'll be interesting to see if the players' uh, union is all good with that. I don't know, man. My head is spinning. That's what's trending. It's brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener. Shamrock Plumbing, 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up, 8 o'clock, David Locke is here for his weekly visit. Brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Group. In the 9 o'clock hour, spring football tour continues. We're headed to Oregon State. Angie Machado will join us from beaverblitz.com. And Andy Toulson, former BYU basketball star, former jazz guy. Also dad of the new BYU Hoops commit, Tanner Toulson. Andy will join us at 9.30. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us on your NBA Daily Assist. We're now starting to see some momentum, or at least it feels like it, Sam. The optimism's got to be at an all-time high, right? I think for sure. The optimism was always there. I think Adam Silver and his group went out of their way to play it down, even within private conference calls with owners and GMs out of sensitivity for the situation. But behind the scenes, they were always pushing pretty hard to make this happen. But the one thing that has not changed at all. They're holding their breath that there's not another major uptick when it comes to cases. I mean, at this point, I'm certainly handicapping that some version of the season will happen. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction is guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. Well, we sit here on a Friday heading into the weekend. And the next segment is, what would you watch last night? And you know we're going to be in here on Monday saying, well, 
We watched the last two episodes of The Last Dance. And what they're left with in The Last Dance right now is 1997, which ends with the Jazz losing in six games in the finals. The 1998 Eastern Commerce Finals, which is clear they're going to spend a lot of time on. They've already been... Some of the interview with Reggie Miller has been promoted. You've seen some bites there of, of Reggie talking about what he was thinking as the series started. And then they're obviously going to have the 1998 finals with the Jazz again. And then maybe a little bit of the epilogue where everybody went and what happened to them as the gang split up. So that figures to be a large chunk of the two hours spent on the Utah Jazz because there's two finals. So you got to figure they're getting at least half an hour and, and maybe 45 minutes or an hour out of this. Because sometimes they'll just be talking about what's going on inside the Bulls team while a series is going on. So even if it's about the finals, it'll still be about the Bulls and not the Jazz at some point. But PK, nonetheless, the Jazz, Stockton, Malone, Jerry Sloan, it seems like there's multiple storylines to to examine here. I'm curious what Stockton's going to say, and I'm I'm curious what Jordan is going to say about the Jazz. We saw him cackling. It was beyond a giggle. It was a belly laugh over uh, what Gary Payton said. I wonder if at any point anyone with the Jazz is going to say anything and they're going to hand an iPad to Jordan so he can watch it. Well, I think that there would be very difficult uh, to have that situation recreated because I don't think anybody on the Jazz is thinking, hey, let me have him. I can shut down this guy. <laughs> I know maybe they did, but they didn't. I'm unaware of it. Maybe Brian Russell had said it, but I think the Jazz had paid him the ultimate respect. It, to me, this should be obviously the most fascinating episodes because they play two of them on a number of levels. You know, they were. I'm hoping they don't go back to some timeline in the past before. 97 98 this is the last dance and this is the last dance of the last dance so you better focus on the 1998 finals and that's the 97 98 season obviously and that's something that um, i'm interested very much in seeing uh behind the scenes and all that because if you look at it you know it's the end obviously but there's also a connection none of these other players or i should say coaches specifically had a connection to the Bulls in the manner that Jerry Sloan has a connection to the Bulls. For for a good while, Jerry's jersey and Jordan's jersey, that was it up there in those rafters. And so there's a direct connection, I believe, and we were around Jerry Sloan many, many times. I actually had the opportunity to vacation with him multiple times in Mexico and got to know him on a much different level than I had ever done before and drove in a van with him they had a bus that they took on the jazz beach bash uh, for the for the folks who went there and they had a van for jerry and i'm standing there and who's ever in charge says tells me get in and I, well, wait a second you want me to get in with jerry sloan and phil johnson yeah you get in too and so that, that was different for me i wasn't expecting that i view myself as just a regular dude and not to get some special transportation. And I just as an example, just the interactions that I had with Jerry were just incredible. And so, and I already respected him as a coach. I think we all did and still do for that matter. I mean, he's one, he's one of my role models in terms of getting up and going to work and doing things that you're supposed to do. Well, you, I think you can draw a direct connection 
between Jordan's mental toughness and Jerry Sloan's mental toughness. Now, I didn't see Jerry Sloan play, but I heard many stories of Jerry Sloan play. I mean, I read uh, Abdul-Jabbar's biography, and he was talking about as a kid, he loved to see Jerry Sloan and Oscar Robertson go at each other. You know, and so that just opened my eyes there. So I don't know that these other, what, four teams that Jordan beat in the finals or the Knicks and the Pacers in the Easterns or Detroit in the Eastern, I don't know that they had that direct connection in the manner that Jerry Sloan had to the Bulls, right? This is this is in the beginning days towards the glory days. There, to me, there's a direct connection between Jerry Sloan and Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls. And I don't know if they're going to do it, but I would like to see them explore that somehow because I think you can see some similarities there. Well, so much of it is about Jordan and what he thought, felt, or how people interacted with him. So I think I get your point, but they have I've already read stuff about how much stuff they had to cut out because they were, quote-unquote, limited to 10 hours. Um, So I don't know that I would bet on that storyline showing up. I'd love to see it. And maybe it will because his jersey hangs in the rafters and, you know, maybe there was some exchange or interplay between them. I certainly didn't know George Carl was going to have that storyline in the restaurant. So who knows what kind of interaction there might be that will trigger exploring that storyline. There's certainly been some unexpected stuff. Yeah. Don't you think that the great players, the truly great players in whatever league it might be, and we'll just obviously use the NBA they seem to have a great understanding of went of what went before them and they're aware of things and they understand things on a on a different level i mean you just look for all the grief that kobe bryant takes from jazz fans uh, kobe <laughs> he got hot rod he knew he yeah. knew the he knew the league history and he knew about the jazz history and he was aware of things, and, and Jordan obviously is just as intelligent as Kobe was. So I, I, I would think that there is a lot of respect there, and Stockton is interviewed, and I expect him to to talk about that. And, you know, John obviously knows Jordan very well to an extent, you would think. I mean, they went in the same class as we saw in the Hall of Fame, all that stuff there. So, yeah, I'm going to be really intrigued about that. I, to me... I want this this last set of shows to be less about the soap opera stuff. You know, the George Carl not looking at you walking down the hallway or the restaurant. Okay, that's that's a nice little anecdote. But I don't want to see the freak stuff with Rodman. Although I suppose we are because that's juicy. I, I want some I want some real stuff as far as I would love to see Rather than, and we've we've bashed on Jerry Krause enough. Do we need it one more time? I don't think so. I would like to see it focus more on basketball and what they were doing and how to counteract what the Jazz had and what Jerry Sloan was doing with Phil Johnson and their coaching staff and how they're preparing for the games. You know what I mean? Rather than the salacious stuff over here of whatever it might be of you know going out to vegas or however that was and that's all nice and that's good background stuff and maybe i'm just up in the night here but i would like to see more x's and o's this time around and how they had to devise a game plan to beat this team because they're the only team that they had to beat twice right the other 
uh, titles. They never had to beat somebody twice because the Jazz were the only team that they played twice. And so how was that? How was that different from the first year in the finals to the second year in the finals? You know what I mean? And, and I don't, I don't want to hear that, oh, well, Jerry Krause was in love with Dan Marley, so we were going to stick it to Dan Marley. And that's a bunch of soap opera junior high stuff. I want to get into how they devise game plans to beat the other team. And in this case, obviously, it's the Jazz. Blair posts on our Facebook page, how should they portray the Jazz? It doesn't matter. This series is all about the world according to Jordan. So there will be no problem beating the Jazz. He will have played the flu game in heroic fashion, and he did not push off. Yeah, I'd like to see some respect, but don't count on it. Nobody else has received any. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Have they painted any of the teams that Jordan went up against as heroic? I mean, they can't paint the Jazz as the winning team because they weren't. Can they at least paint them as giving a heroic effort in defeat? Um, no. I mean, the Sonics down 3-0, getting it to 3-2. There's nothing heroic about that. Jordan ended up cackling because he, he had other things on his mind. I don't know. The, do the Knicks feel like they got portrayed in heroic fashion? The Pistons? The Suns, the Blazers. It's been a whole lot on the Blazers. Uh, just that, uh, you know, that somebody was saying Clyde Drexler was in his league, and he scoffed at that. Uh, you know, he could have had whomever, the greatest player ever. And, I mean, they could come out today and say, you know, Mike, we think that Mike Trout is a better baseball player than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if they wouldn't have had that lockout, if I would have played at start at 17, I would have been better than Trout. I mean, I appreciate the competitiveness that he had, competitiveness that he has and all that stuff, and, that, and that's fun. And I suppose they're going to reflect. I think the epilogue is actually going to be maybe a little bit longer than you say, and it's a significant part, not just uh, something you throw together after the fact and stick it at the end of a book. I think that might be something that that might be interesting because uh, that didn't th- those types of things didn't necessarily receive a lot of publicity. And if they give a lot of publicity to that now, because Jordan can speak in retrospect too on that, and he did speak in retrospect in some of the stuff. Uh, but you know the flu game, I get all that, and that that's juicy. But this is still he played this team twelve times, and he didn't play anybody else twelve times in the finals. And to me, I want to see a lot about just the back and forth. Because both of these things were great series. Both of them. They had a lot of drama. Yeah. And what does he think of game six? Uh, Because Pippen had his back injury, right? And looked like he could barely run up and down the floor. And Jordan never went to a game seven in the NBA finals. He has experience in the Eastern, but not in the NBA finals. And it would have been in the Jazz home floor. And so did he have the mindset of, man, it is all or nothing right here. Because if we go to game seven, maybe he finally shows some a little bit of a weakness. And thinking, I couldn't afford to let us go to a game seven. That would have been really, really tough. You know, what, what, what was his mindset going into game six? And what was his mindset as game six proceeded? Uh, as far as that uh, yeah. line goes. And I, I would wish they – I know they probably won't because, as Blair says, they are focusing on the Jazz. But as far as the Jazz, you know, could they have – in retrospect, could they have done anything different? Did they just lay it all out there and they did everything possible to win and they just came up a few points short from forcing a game seven? Or did they feel like, wow, you know, if we could have done this, we could have done that? 
uh, you know, major stuff, not just, uh, well, if I were to set a screen here or what have you. Uh, I find the whole thing fascinating because, obviously, those were fascinating series that certainly gripped our community, and I think it gripped the entire basketball world because it was right down. And that, both of those series, even though they only went six, I guess you could say, well, even though they only went six to finish PK's thought, we lost him there with social distancing. Uh, I'm in studio, and uh, he's broadcasting from home. We've been doing that for the last two months. But even though they didn't go seven, you know, it was 2-2, and the Jazz were up by 17 points in game five in 1997. And then in 98, they were you know up by three in the final minute, very close to forcing a game seven, which, as you point out, PK, Jordan hadn't been in a Game 7 before. And obviously, down three in the final minute, he was pretty close to a Game 7. So that put pressure on the Bulls' uh, title runs in a way that the other series really uh, didn't. And when they did, because I guess the Suns were pretty close to forcing them to a Game 7, and they did go into that quite a bit on Paxson's shot. They did spend quite a bit of time on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, they were close to that. But I think that uh, given the fact that the Bulls were much older than that, what, what was that, 1992 versus 1998? Yeah. That's a significant age difference. All right. Well, we'll find out Sunday night. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about this with David Locke. He's going to join us at 8 o'clock. And Andy, Angie Machado will join us to talk Oregon State football. The spring tour continues at 9 o'clock right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. George Niang, kind enough to join us. It sounds like you want to get back out there. You want to play and, and finish the season. For sure. You know, I feel like America needs sports. You yeah. know, America needs entertainment just for their mental well-being. And if, you know, the NBA could lead that resurgency, that would mean a lot. You know, I think the game has a huge impact. If we can continue to impact the world positively, you know, with, you know, stressing the fact to, you know, be healthy, protect yourself, uh, wash your hands, take care of others, and still be able to play, I think we should get out there and do it. Uh, but if it's my gut feeling and I had a gun to my head, I would say that, you know, we're going to finish the season and that's going to happen. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. With a little extra time on your hands, it's time to talk about what we're doing to kill time. What did you watch last night with DJ and PK on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network? Too much time on my hands. Too much time on my hands. All right, PK. I watched a little old-time football last night on the uh, NFL Network. They're doing those football life. They decided to have a Pittsburgh Steeler day. Stumbled on the end of Mean Joe Greens. Watched a little of Terry Bradshaw. Chuck Knoll came on, but it was getting late. I had to go to bed. <laughs> I did not know this. That famous Coke commercial that Mean Joe Green did with the little kid in the hallway because there was no security in those days. So, of course, the kid would be in the hallway to the locker room just holding the Coke, hanging out, not watching the game because you can't see over the bench. Uh, but that guy uh, and Joe ended up staying close and have done a bunch of appearances throughout life. They had shots of them. They were at something on the field and all that. And uh, who knew? I thought that would have been a little more of a one-off there, but not at all. You know, I view 
tell me what you think of this. I view those Steelers teams, that was basically the 70s, right? Yeah. Uh, and the same time frame, I view the Steelers with all those recognizable names years later. I've, and a recognizable manager, or not manager, but you'll see why I said manager in a second, a coach, because I view the Pittsburgh football team in the same line of thinking the way I viewed the Cincinnati Reds baseball team of basically that same era. Yeah, I get that. The NBA doesn't have a comparable team because they passed the title around in that era. But the Reds and the Steelers both did a lot of winning, a lot of championships, World Series. Uh, the Reds won two and lost two others. So I think they were 2-2 two and two in their four trips. The Steelers were 4-0 and in their four trips. Um, I don't. I don't think anybody in the NBA made more than two trips. Maybe somebody made three. So it isn't really this. There isn't a team of the decade in the NBA in the '70s. And the Reds and the Steelers were the teams of the decade in the '70s. I guess early in the '70s, the Oakland Athletics won three in a row. So I guess there could be a debate about the team of the '70s. But those two really, really had it going. Really just had good long runs there in the 70s. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're spot on about that. I think the other thing I took away yeah, from it I think th- is that football's a brutal game. And Mean Joe Green looks like he's in pretty good shape, and he's a good interview. It was a real good interview uh, because he was not only in his episode, but then he was in the Terry Bradshaw episode as well. He had some really good stuff to say about Bradshaw. He's, he's, a, he's a thoughtful guy, and he observed a lot. <laughs> and uh, and was willing to share some of it. I think he held some of it back too. But the thing that really got him was he. They had him talking about all his teammates who passed away. Two of them having back surgery, which maybe they would have had back surgery anyway, but maybe they had it because of football and they passed away from complications. And so when they start bringing up, uh, you know, Elsie uh, Greenwood and uh, Dwight, I think it was Dwight um, Holmes. I think was his name. Uh, they Freeney? start. No, Holmes. not Freeney. And they started bringing up these these other teammates of his. Boy, he was just tearing up. You know, the bond with the teammates was real tight. There wasn't free agency. Guys didn't move around. They played together for a long time. So, and that that really got him. So, it's a brutal game. A lot of those guys died pretty young. Yeah, and that's the reason why I don't think of the A's because there was so uh, at least free agency but guys were getting dumped out uh, what's his name finley was the owner then of, yeah. and so he's like he was moving guys so when you think of the a's of that time you know you obviously got reggie jackson and catfish hunter well i barely think of them as Oakland a's. a's players right. i think of them as yankees you know what i mean whereas cincinnati i think of the reds and those guys. I don't think of them playing with any other team. And Pittsburgh, those guys, I don't think of them being with any other team than the Steelers. So to me, I see that connection there. Uh, reminds me of just great, great teams that received a lot of winning. And then Mean Joe Green, I mean, he's just what a cool n- nickname. Like if his name was Smith. <laughs> right. M- Mean yeah. Joe Smith, that, that, that wouldn't wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? That really came across in the in the hour that he gets that Mean Green because he he was a Texas kid and he ended up going to North Texas and they're called the Mean Green. Well, because his name was Joe Green, 
it just kind of flowed off the tongue. Now, he wasn't really mean Joe Green, right? But he's sacking quarterbacks, so it works. And then he goes and does a Coke commercial, which also isn't real any more than this nickname thing was real. And so then he's got this reputation as a big softy, and they interviewed his wife for it. And there was some kind of family reunion, and they shot some stuff there. And one of the relatives is talking about, I think of him as a big teddy bear. And then you hear his wife off camera, I don't. <laughs> So it's kind of, you got this public figure, which in his case was two really different images, and yet neither one of them was really true. You know, the truth was off somewhere else. You can't really plot it on a line. One is more true than the other. Um, he referenced it that uh, he, he wanted to kind of thank the mean Joe Green character for helping create the life he had, but that wasn't who he was. He wasn't the guy who played ball anymore. You know, just as a human, he'd kind of evolved over time. He'd gone through a lot of stuff in life. Certainly the retroflective stuff, I'm sure, reflecting on his teammates passing away. But just, you know, generally you change over the decades. We're not, we, we don't look at life the same way we did 10 or 20 years ago. Why would he? You know, so it was pretty good stuff. What'd you watch? You're following along the lines of what Riley Jensen says as far as the the wimpy names. Would it have worked if it was mean Ethan Green? Probably not. Unless, you know, he's got 100 sacks, in which case you just over, you overwhelm the name. Well, I, I can't say no for sure because... Uh, the Chargers had a guy who got really popular for a while in San Diego. They didn't win enough for him to be popular nationally, but it was Leslie O'Neill. I always wondered, so did he get teased? Oh, Leslie is a girl's name. You know, Leslie uh, Tracy. There was a Raider, Stacy Turan, who was a, a tough guy for a few years. And you're like, I wonder if Leslie and Stacy, uh, you know, Took, took some heat at elementary school at recess, and it toughened them up, you know? Somebody made fun of their name or whatever, and they had to stand up for themselves. So, uh, one more thing. Back on to your uh, wheelhouse, the Chargers and the, the Raiders. The Raiders, huh? the AFC. I'm a child of the AFC West, there's no doubt, and I can't argue that. Uh, you know, one more thing about the Oakland Athletics and free agency, because you're talking about the team of the decade. You know, so many, well, at least a couple high-profile guys went to the Yankees, and you can't win in baseball with a couple high-profile guys, so they would have had to keep the whole roster together. But if the A's keep the high-profile stars, you know, Reggie Jackson was good for a long time after he left Oakland. I mean, he was still good when he ended up with the Angels, right? And the Yankees won titles in 77 and 78. Could the A's have been hands down the team of the decade? Could they have been bigger than the Steelers? I mean, the A's win three, the Yankees won two, the Reds win two in between. The Yankees went to the series three times. If they kept the A's together and they would have had to bring some more guys on board, you know, did free agency wreck them from winning four, five, or six titles? Could they have just been massive? No, because no one has done that. No. No, I heard someone talk about the Warriors when they got together. Oh, they're going to win the next seven or eight titles. And I can't remember who it was. And it was some NBA guy. And he said, no, they're not. There's no way they're going to do that because something is going to happen. And so we always play that game. Fill in the blank team. The the Shaq and Kobe. If they would have stayed together. They would have won X amount, blah, 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 blah. The Bulls won six. If they would have stayed together, would they have won seven or eight? Or if Jordan had uh, stayed with them in, what, 94, 95, or 95, 96, whatever it was, would they have won eight in a row? Well, no. No, they wouldn't have. Something would have happened. And that was his point. We would all know the name, but I can't remember. And his point was, no, something always happens that this never happens anymore. 
anymore. It just doesn't happen. So teams do not win to that level consecutively. And we saw with just the Warriors here before injuries obviously decimated them uh, as recently as last season. And so it would have would have happened. So we look at the Warriors, and they had a great, great run. And I don't think the run is necessarily over, but it'll be a different cast of characters to a large degree although it would probably still have the coach and, and Green and, and Thompson and um, Curry, obviously, but they'll add to it. So it'll be different in the manner that the Bulls' second three-peat, obviously they had the coach and two great players, but the rest of the characters were different. And so, no, to answer your question, I don't think that it would have mattered. I don't think we would have seen the Oakland A's win seven or eight inside of a 10- or 11-year period. Bradshaw did second what Michael Jordan has been talking about uh, in the last dance, that after winning back-to-back Super Bowls for the second time in this uh, NFL Films uh, deal here, he was talking about how he wanted to retire after beating the Rams and winning the fourth Super Bowl, and that he told his dad, I'm so tired. And his dad is like... This especially, you don't want to give it up. I mean, it's your call. If you're really done, if you're done, you're the only one who can know you're done. But his dad's telling us kind of like, you love this, yes. you know. But it was Bradshaw's point was it wasn't the physical energy was real, but so was the emotional energy. And I think we see that from Jordan right. as well. Oh, no question. Yeah. Yes, I agree. That's why Jordan's uh, final two titles, particularly that last one, it's the most impressive. Well, Steve Kerr has said that they were running on fumes at the end of 98, and they couldn't have gone on much longer anyway. Now, Krause ended it, but Kerr's point was they were running on fumes. That was the quote I remember reading. It'll be interesting to see if he says that Sunday night for them again. All right, DJ and PK taking a break. David Locks coming up next. <laughs> 